Hello, this is Gail with Holy Trinity and Episcopal Student Ministries in Auburn, Alabama. Thank you for listening to Episco Auburn. This podcast started as a pandemic adaptation, but it's just part of what we do now as a virtual option for our students and as a look into what we do for anybody who's curious. We're going through the book of Exodus. We're skipping around a little bit because we're concentrating on this thesis. Exodus is a book in two genres, narrative and law. So the arc of the book is God revealing glory, purpose, and presence to people who come to know, embrace, and recognize God, and then respond by shaping their lives for God's reality. So here's where we are. We talked last time about God appearing to Moses in the burning bush. Moses and his brother Aaron have reunited, which just makes me think of Blues Brothers because... We're on a mission from God. So we're in chapter 5 now. They go to Pharaoh and say, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says to them, Who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? So we'll do a little more recap and then get into the meat of Bible study in chapters 5 and 6. All right, so in response to Moses and Aaron's request and indignation, Pharaoh gives this order to the slave dryers and overseers of the Hebrew people. You're no longer allowed to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they want to go worship their Lord in the wilderness. Make the work harder so they keep working and pay no attention to lies. The slave drivers tell them this. The people are scattered all over Egypt to look for straw. The slave drivers press them, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers, and the Israelites say to Moses and Aaron this. We're at chapter 5, verse 22. Moses turns again to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you mistreated this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has mistreated this people, and you have done nothing at all to deliver your people. So let's hear that accusation. Let's hear all the pain of this. Moses Moses was sent by God, and he, of course, had pictured things going differently. Perhaps he pictured, you know, this this being effective, this um, this working, this one request, but perhaps not. But he couldn't have ever pictured that it would have resulted in more pain for the Hebrew people. So just hear all the layers of that. All right. So we're caught up. Chapters uh, chapters five. We'll go into chapter six for Bible study. But first, here's a word about how we study scripture. The Lord knows I love a research tangent, and there will be one later. But the focus of our approach to Scripture is devotional, the trust that God is speaking to us and revealing God's self in Scripture, and also that the more we read and the more we practice how to listen how God is speaking to us in Scripture, the more um, Bible study becomes a tool for the road of faith ahead. So we use dwelling in the word as our entry point. Dwelling in the word is a practice that teaches how to listen to scripture. So here's a quick how-to. One, read the passage aloud. Do this alone, partners, small group. 
and then reflect on these three questions. What words or phrases stand out to me as I read this? So like, uh, what strikes your ear, hits your heart, engages your curiosity? Two, what questions do I have about this passage? Three, how might God be speaking to us in this passage? So here's the passage. Here's what God says in response to that anguished plea from Moses' heart. Uh, Pick up with us at chapter 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Indeed, by a mighty hand he will let them go. By a mighty hand he will drive them out of his land. God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they resided as aliens. I've also heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and cruel slavery. Some notes on what we've just heard. So Pharaoh says to Moses, I do not know Yahweh. An interesting case study because neither did Moses. He just stopped to listen to a talking bush. Whatever his experience with God before this is unclear. At College Mondays, we've talked about whether Moses knew he was of the Hebrew people or not. Aaron coming to meet him does not seem like a surprise. His mother was his wet nurse. And yet... But here's the deal. The Bible is not a um, exhaustively detailed novel or play-by-play. It is the story of God's creation, salvation, and redemption of, um, of God's people. So sometimes there's room, for, um, there's room for imagination. There is room for thinking of a few narrative possibilities and its implication for us, so long as it fits within the mission of the text. So that's two very distinct ways to respond when you hear God's will. One of them, uh, one of these two people says, I have some questions, but I want to know more about you. And the other recognizes no power outside of himself. In opening Israel's scriptures, uh, Ellen Davis writes about this tension. She says, God seeks to be known by God's people and God is essentially unknowable. And she talks about how this plays out in the Exodus narrative. As we read the plague narratives in later chapters, they end with this poignant note. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh does it in the first five plagues. God did it in the next four, although the seventh notes both did it. And here's some interesting commentary on this from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel quotes Pharaoh in uh, chapter 29, verse 3, saying, The Nile is mine, and I made it for myself. This, uh, this declaration would have been 
consistent with the ancient Egyptian approach to their earthly rulers. We kind of see an echo of this with uh, the, Ro the Roman Empire's um, emperor cult around the Caesars and the Son of God rhetoric. So here's Alan Davis. Because Pharaoh presumes to be more than human, God makes him less than human, losing the proper function of his heart, the organ of spiritual and moral discernment. All right. It's good stuff. It's weird stuff. Email me if you have any questions. All right, here's a little more from College Mondays. So uh, we're talking about Moses as a leader. And uh, one student I spoke with this week uh, referred to this in a separate conversation talking about corporate culture. Another uh, called it the leadership industrial complex on the college campus. And we talked about how um, a sec the secular leadership rhetoric doesn't square with um, practices of discipleship. This was really, this was a really um, generative conversation. And so one student says, Moses shows that you can be an ineffective and resented leader and God's work is still happening. And that you can get better about obeying God, delegating, building relationships. But the punchline is, you're still Moses. And up next, we have an absolutely classic Hebrew Bible move. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh of Egypt to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Because I speak with faltering lips. Okay, it has been, it has been dramatic so far. Stunning, um, stunning visuals, turns of phrase that really stick with you. We'll talk a little bit about um, where else you might have heard the phrase bricks without straw before. This um, intense dialogue between Moses and Pharaoh, Moses and God, and then how does the Bible sustain this narrative energy? <laughs> Genealogy. That's what's next. All right, it's, uh, so I read you through um, Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 13, and um, verses 14 through 25. It's, it's all genealogy. The following are the heads of their ancestral houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. These are, and then all the way through, these are the heads of the ancestral houses of the Levites by their families. This, it was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, company by company. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, the same Moses and Aaron. So what we hear in this, um, it's not quite the narrative drop-off that I uh, kind of like jokingly referred to it as. This is very much a, um, a God way of storytelling to say, I have always been doing this for you. I have always been working on this. I have always been working for your good from generation to generation. Let's close by talking about the phrase bricks without straw. 
Uh, we have talked about how Exodus is one of the foundational texts of black theology. You can hear more about this on our YouTube channel for um, through our Sunday School classes, uh, Introduction to Black Theology. It's currently in four parts. Um, look for it on the Holy Trinity Auburn YouTube channel. Holy Trinity Auburn. And here's a little more commentary on that. There is a um, Reconstruction era novel, um, actually written three years after Reconstruction officially ended, called Bricks Without Straw. The author, uh, Albion Tourget, he's white, um, worked really closely with African Americans and poor whites in, uh, in the struggle to transform North Carolina's racial and class politics. He writes about um, the KKK and as a um, state superior court judge, worked to bring them to justice. And he was really concerned with fighting the, uh, the counter-revolution that destroyed Reconstruction out of resentment. So Bricks Without Straw is his fictionalized account of how Reconstruction was sabotaged. Um, he writes about a group of North Carolina freed people trying to build lives for themselves, uh, buying their land, selling crops, church and school, um, and voting for politicians sympathetic to their interest. And it ends with um, clan violence and a white supremacist government. This was his way of getting the, the critique of the anti-Reconstruction backlash into the hands of more people and accessible through um, some light fiction. I have read about this confession. I haven't read it yet, but I want to. Uh, legal scholars will know his name because he helped to litigate Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896. And historian Mark Elliott credits Tourget with introducing the metaphor of colorblind justice into legal discourse. Albion Tourget. All right. Here is uh, here's a more modern um, way we might have heard this phrase, bricks without straw. So I found this, uh, I found this speech from the Reverend Ernest Flores from Germantown Baptist Church in Philadelphia. And he says that the systems set, the systems of the city set up poor and working class people in Philadelphia to fail. He quotes Exodus 5-7, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But you shall require the, from them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. So he looks at this to say um, it's a system that set up the Israelites to fail. And as a pastor serving the Germantown section of Philadelphia, I found several haunting similarities between such a system and the realities of what people face every day in our city. He says that in Philadelphia and across the country, we have a system that demands of our inner city residents, many of whom are minorities and immigrants, that they produce, get jobs, and move on up to the middle class. And uh, in order to do this, we provide substandard public schools and jobs that pay below the poverty line. He says, we're expecting people to buy a home, raise a family, go to church, and be productive members of society. But like with Pharaoh, there is no straw. He talks about how schools are underfunded and undersupported. Wages can't make ends meet. People are being forced to collect their own straw. Um, he talks about less time with family results in more children lacking supervision. He talks about 
um, unaffordable childcare options, poor education, low wage jobs, multiple jobs, leaving out time for family. And he, um, he just drives this home and back to, uh, keeps it in Bible study conversation by using the phrase from generation to generation, echoing the covenant language and saying that, um, the, the government respectability politics and um, poorly funded support for families makes a uh, hurtful and inverse covenant. So he says, I know no one wants to admit to being Pharaoh in such circumstances, but that is what we are when we refuse to investigate the unlivable wages many people are making. When we refuse to contemplate the negative outcomes for so many in America who are trying to work, taking on an extra job and doing all kinds of tasks many of us would not do because they're trying to make bricks without straw. He says, if we want to see our cities become a haven of healthy neighborhoods, free from crime, free from violence, good schools, talent being nurtured, futures being secured, it's time we stop asking people to make bricks without straw. So good. Pray about it. Think about it. All right. Continuing with uh, continuing with Bible study on this podcast, please email me at uh, gail at holytrinitychurch.info if you have any thoughts, questions, and reflections to share. And stay tuned for our next episode. What's next? A lot happens after Egypt. Talk to you soon.